follow up with you accordingly. Just put it in the wooden bucket on your way out. Um, also a good way to communicate prayer requests with us. If there's anything going on in your life that you would like others to be in prayer uh, with you over, please write that on here and put it in the bucket and we will start praying. Uh, several things, let's see. Hope Kids Printable. And this is how you know that people who love you are messing with you. So we're, we're looking at the, the letters in the New Testament this week that were not written by the Apostle Paul, other than Hebrews, which we looked at last week. Um, and one of those is the book of James, which is my least favorite book in the Bible. I can, I can safely say that um, because it tells me I have to be like a good person. And I'm not a very good person. I'm terrible at that. And so anyway, all that to say, if you put a word find in front of me, I have to do it. And Jen Townsend knows that, that, I, that, I, that James is my least favorite book of the Bible. So if you open up the kid's printable, there's a word find from words through the book of James, from the book of James. This is just mean. It's just, you know, I have to, I have to look up words like respect and patience, humility, seriously. I've got to find humility. It's the only way I'm going to find humility. Um, and then I have to look up pride and temptation. Come on. There's no grace in here. I'm just saying. There's no grace in that word fine. No grace. There's love, faith, prayer, wisdom. No grace. I'm just saying. Just pointing that out. Anyway, uh, the kids printable is... is on, we sent it out by email. There's also copies in the back if you want to uh, fill that out and have something to do. Gash, you know, during the sermon, you can color. It's perfect. All right. Um, let's see. Several things going on around here. Zoom meetings. Tuesday nights at 7 we, is our z weekly Zoom Bible study. We'll be uh, flying through all the books that we're covering this morning. Um, so encourage you to Zoom in for that Tuesday nights at 7 and uh, we'll help you get a better overview and understanding of at least some portion of this part of God's word. Um, Blueprint, our youth summer missions trip, is coming up, and we need your help with lunches. We were pretty well, we, it's coming along, come together very well, but if you are available, go to our website, click through to our Sign Up Genius, and find a slot that you could bring lunch to one or both of our groups on Monday through Thursday of that week. It's next week, not this week, but the following, uh, June 14th through 17th. If you want to do this and you get to the website and you in the Sign Up Genius and you see that somebody else has already signed up like two or three times, contact Lois and she can relieve them of one spot and you can have the other one. Um, is that fair? Is that how we're doing this? Okay. But um, <clears throat> it's just a fun way to come down, drop off lunch, have some interaction with the kids who are serving, uh, be the one non-sweaty, disgusting person uh, at the lunch gathering. Uh, so that's what's going on. Uh, Blueprint, if you don't know, is a ministry in urban San Antonio. Our youth serve there every summer, and they fix up houses 
for people who are living at one and a half times the national poverty level or lower. And it's just a great ministry. It's, it's a Christian ministry in the, in the heart of our city and a great way for us to serve others and express our Christian faith through action, like the book of James tells us to. So um, there is that. Uh, what am I forgetting? If you're going on the Blueprint trip, we've got some digital paperwork that we need you to fill out. Um, so please log in, get there. Is it emailed to them? You should have an email with that. So are you talking to me? Is this for me? Like, I, haven't, I have not filled out my paperwork yet. All right. So if you're like me, go to your email, search for Blueprint, pull it up, fill out the forms. Who do they, who do they send to? automatically sin they magically appear on the person's computer who needs them uh, yeah I was gonna say who can do such a thing we have a wizard in our church her name is Kristen Abram and she can make things magically digital digitally happen it's kind of amazing anyway um, all right so there's also all the information sent out from Lois on what to wear what to bring what not to wear what not to bring I'm just kidding anyway um, all right so that's coming up. We have a spring cleanup. It's still spring. Summer starts June 20th or 21st, whenever that happens. Um, so we're going to do a spring cleanup. When is this, Rusty? Saturday the 26th of June, the first Saturday of summer, we're going to do a spring cleanup. All right, that works. Um, and then we're going to come up. So we're hosting in... September, we're hosting uh, several dozen people uh, in this building for a presbytery meeting. That's a regional gathering of pastors and elders, uh, a lot of harumphing uh, and that sort of thing. But uh, there'll be a presbytery meeting here that we're hosting, and we want to kind of just spruce the place up and uh, do a little bit of touch-up painting and some outside work and whatnot. So I encourage you to be here. We'll have lunch for you afterwards outside. So if you are available on Saturday, June 26th, come up here. What time, Rusty? Do you know? 8.30. All right. Hope you can be here for that. We are going to have a Hope for Kids on Sunday, June 20th. That's Father's Day. Um, encourage you to, if you have little ones, bring them. We'll have a children's chat, and then they'll go out to the outdoor pavilion uh, and have Hope for Kids. So that's coming up as well. I think that is all for now. If I can have all of those who are here with us today who are entering into sixth grade or finished with high school, if you would come forward at this time and stand behind me, that would be great. Morning. Yes, pray for our youth group. We're about to, like, start over. <laughs> but we've got some reinforcements coming in. Just one? You're, en you're like, you're enough. Yeah, you're plenty. And uh, so, Judah, if you wonder, like, what's the value of going to youth group, look next to you. <laughs> that will happen to you if you go to youth group. All right, so I have a Bible for you. 
and this is on the occasion of you no longer uh, being in Hope for Kids. You're going to have to listen to my long, boring sermons, and here's what I want for you. I want God's word to, to take deeper root in your heart. When you're listening to the sermon on Sunday mornings, I want you to look and listen for just one thing that God is saying to you that day. And take that with you into the week ahead. Take it to school with you. Think about it. Pray about it. Let God's word saturate your heart and your life. And as you do that and you come to youth group, my hope is that you will develop faith like these who stand before you. Um, and uh, hopefully you'll grow like Chris. All right. And uh, you can take off and go sit down. I'm going to deal with the rest of these people. All right. Naomi, this is a Bible for you, and I've written something inside, but I just want to um, tell everybody about your heart. So what was this, 10 years ago? We were on the uh, Valley Missions trip down in, I don't know, the valley, the Rio Grande Valley. <laughs> there's like there's like 75 different municipalities down there. And everybody's done with their work day. We get back to the place we're staying, and it's time for dinner. And I'm looking around. I'm like, where's Naomi? And I go to get my tray and go through the line, and Naomi's behind the counter, like serving food and working more. Everybody else is like relaxing taking it easy, and Naomi's back there serving and uh, taking care of her, her people. And uh, you have a beautiful heart, and I'm grateful to have been a part of your life for these years, and now for your cousin, aunt, cousin-ish. Um, Jordan, you are beautiful in every sense of the word, and it has been a privilege to watch God develop you into the incredible young woman that he is making you into. And thank you for sharing your heart and your smile with us all these years. You're a blessing, and I will be in prayer for both of you as you move through this next stage of life. What's next for you? College. Okay, so that's like almost adulting. No, not really. All right. Um, Christopher. You really have grown. And I think, I think that uh, what stands out to me in, in you is also your heart and your willingness to serve, your, um, how do you, what do you call like a, a hesitant enthusiasm? What do you call that? No clue? Does that, does that capture it fairly well? Yeah. And, and yet, when, when, uh, when I spend time with you, there's good questions, there's good insights, there's the, the work of the Holy Spirit is moving within you as you engage God's word, and our prayer is that uh, his word will dwell in you richly over the years ahead. Eric, um, you get the award for the most intelligent faith I've encountered in a long time, and it's refreshing to be at youth group, and somebody will say something, and you will give a very 
thorough, deep, and thoughtful answer. Um, and I appreciate that uh, combination of intelligence and faith. And uh, you will go far, sir. So thank you for being part of our church. All right. Gage. Sir. And I, I have officially stopped calling you Grant. I won't do that anymore. Um, you, uh, you've earned your place in the heart of this church, and I respect that. And uh, I love your smile. I love your, in, your courage in, in coming into life the way you do. And uh, you have good energy and good faith, and you will go far, sir. All right. Emily, your smile is followed quickly by an enthusiasm for God's word that has brightened the spirit of our youth group in the few months that you've been part of it. Uh, you've blessed us. And just the way you light up when God's word is opened and the way that you just dive in and your enthusiasm for life, for, for learning, for engaging in, in God's word is inspiring. And I look forward to seeing what God does with you in the future. All right. Do you give twins Bibles at the same time? <laughs> Allie, um, yeah. I, I don't know if you remember, well, you remember last summer and just sharing from the depth of your own personal experience and pain. <clears throat> And uh, I realize in those moments that it's not me. It's the Holy Spirit working through people like you that make this whole endeavor so valuable. And uh, I love you. And I will miss you and your heart and your willingness to be vulnerable. Those are powerful, powerful aspects of your character. Thank you for sharing them with us. Tatum, the amazing Tatum, the smile, the courage, um, your character is well-built. Good job, wherever your parents are. Um, and just to see you develop and flourish in the ways that you have is a blessing. I, I see strength when I look in your eyes, and it inspires me. So, thank you. Brooke, how are you? I'm doing well. And uh, it's been a true blessing to see you grow over all these years. We've kno I've known you for 15 years, maybe. And uh, just to see the young woman that God is building you into and uh, your strength of character Reminds me of your mother, which is terrifying and wonderful all at the same time. Am I wrong? No. Okay. But um, I, I, my prayer for all of you is that God's word will flourish within you, that you will take the faith that God has cultivated within you in this place and bring it with you into the rest of life, that you will be a blessing to those that God brings you into contact with in much the same way that you've blessed me as being a part of your life up until now. Let me pray for you.
God, our Father, we lift uh, these young souls to you. We thank you for the blessing that they are to our church. We pray your blessing over them as they transition into this next phase of life. May you fill them with your Holy Spirit, deepen them in their grasp of your word, and carry with them the faith that you have cultivated in their hearts up to this point. Develop that faith, grow that faith, cause it to flourish and blossom in their lives. We pray your blessing over each one of them and give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you all. All right. You can go sit down. There we go. Rest assured that when something goes wrong, it's not Zach in the back. It's, it's me. Zach in the back. <laughs> wow. Okay, before we get started, my name is Rusty Tungit. I am one of the elders here. Um, but before we jump into the sermon, it's moments like these and just a few weeks ago when we were installing new deacons that just give me energy and it's a beautiful thing to see our youth grow into God's grace and into his mercy and I just cannot wait to see all those seniors come back at Christmas and tell us about all the great things that they're doing and I look forward to the youth group we need to multiply yeah yeah well yes how many years do we have until we get Izzy? Okay, so one more year and we get Izzy at, at Blueprint, and then we get Zoe in two more years. Okay, sweet. I love you too. <laughs> All right, so starting back in January, we started what Tom called the most ambitious sermon series that he's ever taken, called Run Through the Bible, and... We have, I believe we're in week 22 now. We started in Genesis, and next week, Tom will wrap it up in Revelation. So what we've been doing is we've been following the promise of God throughout all of Scripture. And Genesis starts off, everything is great, then man screws it up, and then he makes a promise. And we've been following that promise since Genesis chapter 3. And so the promise has been fulfilled at this point. It was fulfilled in the Gospels. But now we have this first generation of Christians that don't know what they're doing. Does that make sense? They are the first people to try to figure this thing out. And so it's going to be very helpful if we'll keep that in mind as we look at some of these things that maybe you've heard before, 
But these, this first generation of Christians just simply did not know. They were making this up as they went along in a lot of ways. So we are going to be in the books of James, First and Second Peter, then the Little Johns, the ones that you can read all in one day because they're so short. I would encourage you to do that this week. First, Second, and Third John, and then in the book of Jude. Now, that is a lot of material, and I don't want to put all of you to sleep. Some of you will sleep no matter. I'm not worried about that. But we, these books are sometimes called the general epistles, not important, but they are the small books after Hebrews, the ones that are hard to find. So we're just going to skip through them, but we're going to be looking at how each one of these authors is trying to answer the question, how shall we live? So in the light of Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, how shall we live? The promise has been fulfilled, but now what? So let's jump into James. We're going to go to James chapter 1, and we're going to find that James is calling us to live as doers of the word. And so James is asking us to actually live out the word. Like Tom was telling us, in the word find, it's very difficult. But let's listen to it now. James chapter 1, 19 through 25. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and per perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. These words are hard. They're very hard, especially when he's talking about being slow to anger. Like, that's my go-to. I get angry and mad. But I'm supposed to rely on the Spirit, not man-made methods, right? My anger does not produce in myself or anyone else the godliness or the righteousness that I would like to see. Let us also remember that when we look into the perfect law, we need to remember that true freedom is found in serving God. This sounds very kind of contradictory, but true freedom is found in service. You will spend your life either serving yourself and your flesh and be a slave to that, or you will spend your life as a servant of God. But true freedom is in that service to the God who made you and who knows what is best for you. 
And then we need to keep track of the fact that being shaped into the image of Christ is the ultimate blessing. We throw around this idea of blessing all too often in our culture, and oftentimes it gets mixed up with material blessing. And that's true, but keep in mind that the ultimate blessing is being shaped into the image of Christ himself. And God is doing that. Oftentimes it is painful. But you need to remember that, that being shaped into the image of Christ is the ultimate blessing. So we're moving quickly here. We're already into 1 Peter. And for in the book of 1 Peter, calls us to live in expectation of suffering. Again, another place that I'm not good at. But we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12. So we're just turning to the right in your Bible, straight to 1 Peter. Don't go too far because you will miss it. Going to chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted, For the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Notice that at the very beginning, it doesn't say if, right? Peter doesn't tell you, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial if it comes upon you. So expect it. It's going to happen. It's kind of like riding a motorcycle. Anybody? Yeah. There you go, Leroy. I know you ride a motorcycle. Do you ride, do you ride with your helmet because you might crash your bike? Or do you just assume it's going to happen, right? It's, an, it's a win, not an if, right? Keeps you safe. Well, our expectation of suffering is... <laughs> Christy's like, whoa. Bike taken away. All right. Okay. Well, we want to live in this expectation of suffering because it's going to happen. Our Lord and Savior suffered. We should expect that suffering as well. Is it going to show up in the same exact way? No. None of you, or at least not that I can imagine, are going to be called to go die on a cross in Jerusalem. Right? It's not going to happen because it wouldn't work anyway. His perfect death paid for our sins. We don't need to do it for ourselves. But we should expect this suffering to come. It is a win, not an if. We want to view our suffering from an eternal perspective that will help us manage it and understand its place. That doesn't make it any easier. That's not what I'm saying. Your suffering 
is hard. But if we can remember that it is just for a short time compared to eternity, it will help us move through it. And also, let's remember that God is glorified by our righteous suffering. I don't think I like that. I don't want God to put me into suffering. But if I can remember that he is glorified when I do it for righteous reasons, that helps me understand that it has meaning. So 1 Peter is a hard book to read. And I've asked you to read it, I believe, on Tuesday of this week. Please do so. It will help us adjust our perspective. But we ought to be expecting suffering in this life. In 2 Peter, we are called to live patiently. So let's go there. We're going to go to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved. And Peter asked the exact same question that we're asking today. What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. We are found without spot or blemish because of what Jesus did on the cross for our sins. We cannot do that in and of ourselves. We are only clean because of his blood. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you. So he's referencing some other work of Paul here that is in accord with what Peter is saying. According to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters, when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them really appreciate this statement, especially when I get to the Corinthians letters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. This is really um, interesting that Peter is putting Paul's writings on the same level as at the same time that Paul is writing them, he is putting them on the same level as the other scriptures, by which he's meaning Moses, David, the Psalms, all of those things. Continuing in 17, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So Peter is calling us to live in patience. 
we're supposed to have an eternal perspective about earthly things. When things are going sideways in your life, it will be easier to navigate those if you have an er an eternal perspective. And you can rest assured that the day is coming. There will be a day when God sets everything right. There will be a day when there is no more sin. There is no more pain. It's coming. Now, is it coming as fast as we want it to? Probably not. But that's what Peter's calling us to do, is to live patiently and to rest and wait. We are to seek peace above self-interest. All too often, it is my selfishness that has me reacting in anger, which then wrecks peace. If I am truly into the interest of other people, if I'm looking out for other people, I'm going to be helping preserve and create peace. So I should seek that. And I ought to avoid error. And as we avoid error, we are praying and asking the Holy Spirit to help us grow in grace. There's this element of knowledge here. I remember as a younger Christian that I was just seeking knowledge. I was just adding to my data collection that I had about Scripture. Because if you had more marks in your Bible or if you could memorize more Scripture, somehow in, you know, in my college group, that made you more godly. But it was head knowledge. It wasn't being transferred from that head knowledge into heart knowledge, which then comes out of you, right, into acts of service. And so why our blueprint mission trip is so important. It calls our kids into that serving aspect. And it's amazing how tired they are at the end of a day, but yet rejuvenated at the same time. And it, they may not even make that connection in real time, but God will probably call that experience into their memory, and they will understand that to be rejuvenated in God is oftentimes connected to serving other people. And it's something that our world does not understand. That when you allow God to squeeze you out, he is always faithful to fill you back up. So let us avoid error and grow in grace. Let us Seek knowledge, but don't leave it as knowledge, head knowledge. Now let's move to the little Johns. First John is the very next book. It is one of the best pictures of love in the Bible. Um, it's hard to read this book without feeling like you're doing it wrong because this picture of love is so, um, so well put. Let's go to chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever 
loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever or anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Eleven, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. That word propitiation is just a fancy Bible speak for satisfying the wrath of God. God is perfectly righteous and holy, and he is justly angry at our sin. But when Jesus and his blood covers your life, he is no longer angry at you. All of that anger has been satisfied. That's what this word means, this propitiation. So let us remember that all love originates in God's character. He is the source of all the love in the entire universe. When you approach him, he is loving. That is part of his essential nature. Let us also remember that we love in response to the love received. First John tells us that we love because he first loved us. And on our best day, we sometimes reflect that. Right? Let us remember that love is seen in actions. What was that of? Uh, newsboys or something Christian song, Lois help me, love is a verb. Thank you. DC talk, right? When was that? Was that like 1989? Early 90s. Sweet. We're showing our age. But DC talk, love is a verb, right? Love should come out. It's one thing to tell someone that you love them. It's something else to get up and serve them and love them and show them with your actions, with your feet, with your hands, with your time, with your energy. Love is an action. And we are called to reflect God's love out into the world. Now, do we do this well all the time? No, we don't. But God is love. It says here this kind of random statement that no one has ever seen God in verse 12. And John is telling us they're going to see the essential nature of who God is. God is love. But because they cannot see him, they're going to see him through you and your love for one another and for all of those people that you don't know. And that's why it's so powerful for us to love our enemies because we do it so differently. And that's what we want. We want to stand out and be different. Moving on to Second John, we are called to live in truth. 
second John, third John, and Jude are where the, it's the really good stuff. It's the kind of thing that you can sit down and read in one sitting. There's not even chapters. So second John, verse four. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. So love cannot be divorced from the truth. We demonstrate our love, demonstrate your love through the truth. There's no separating it. It might be a half-hearted attempt at love if it's separated from the truth. But you are not doing it anyone any favors when you Try to love them without the truth. Letting sin slide is not love. It can be the short-term answer to preserving your relationship. And we do this when we're fearful. We let sin slide because we think that it's going to preserve the relationship or there's any number of reasons why we might let sl sin slide. Lack of courage, lack of boldness, any number of reasons. And I'm just as guilty about this as anybody else. But when we truly love someone and we want what's best for them, this world will tell you that we ought to seek another person's happiness. But is that what we truly ought to be seeking for the people that we love? Please say no. If I love someone, I want them to be holy. That is what is best for them. They were built, each one of you and every person that you meet is built to worship the one true God. When you are doing that, when I am doing that, we are at our best. That's what we were created for. So when we love someone, we are calling them into that holiness. So when you are loving me, oftentimes you're telling me, stop being selfish. Stop being lazy. And if I'm in a good place, I can go, thank you. I need to hear that because I'm selfish and I'm lazy. Letting sin slide is not love. Now, do you need to say that with the right attitude? Are we taught in Scripture to examine the log in our own eye before we go and try to remove the speck out of someone else's? Yes, we are. A lot of what you get in return for that conversation is going to be in your approach. Husbands, tread carefully. This is why your wives need godly friends. This is why husbands need godly men in their lives. 
because it's a whole lot easier for Tom to just call me on the carpet than for me to listen to you know somebody way too close to me right if i want to approach mark on an issue or have mark approach me that's going to be an easier conversation probably than one with his spouse not that we should duck out of that not that we shouldn't have the courage to have those conversations but we need godly friendships now some of y'all might disagree and some of y'all probably are truly best friends with your spouse, right? That's okay. But we also need same-sex friends because there are parts of being a woman that only another woman understands. There's parts of being a man that only another man understands, and we can speak to each other in those things. So... Let's not let sin slide in each other's lives because that is not love. But let us remember that sharing the truth in love is love. So that attitude, that approach, you can uphold the truth and love the person at the same time. And oftentimes, this comes in the humility with which you approach the situation. If you have examined and been brought to repentance by your own sin, then when you approach your brother or your sister, the tone is going to be completely different. But if I'm coming at you with a self-righteous attitude because I haven't looked at my own sin recently, you're going to be like, no, thank you. I'll keep my sin to myself because you're awfully good at yours, right? Let's move on to 3 John. Here John calls us to live on mission. We're just one page away. We're going to flip over to verse 5 in 3 John. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Being a missionary has nothing to do with your location. Some of you are goers. Some people are senders. When we send someone, oftentimes we think about sending them abroad. But we live in a diverse city that is huge. I want each one of you to think of yourselves as a missionary. You are both a goer and a sender whenever you're stepping into your sphere of influence. But even if we stay here at home, we can participate in the act of missions by supporting and sending missionaries. So let us support 
our brothers and sisters in Christ. Whether that's showing up to Blueprint with lunch, it can be as simple as that. Because that is a mission field. Hopefully, every year we pray for the homeowners at each one of the job sites. We are looking for opportunities not only to fix the roof or to gut the kitchen, but we're looking for opportunities to share the gospel with these people that we are serving. So there are any number of ways to support your brothers and sisters as they are on mission, and we want to remember that we are on mission with them. And the whole point of these missions is to make God famous. Let us make God famous. Let us go out into this world for the sake of his name. And we do that in any number of ways. But basically they fall into two categories. When we fail to reflect the love of God, we make God famous for relying on Jesus and his death on the cross for our sins especially when we are open and honest and transparent about that, there, there's a powerful element there of us being real about our sin. But we also make God famous when we're simply reflecting who he is to all of these people in this broken and fallen and hurting world who need to know that God loves them. So we... Let us make God famous as we go out. And let us remember that goers and senders are fellow workers in the gospel. This good news that Jesus died on the cross for your sins is so important for everyone to hear. So whether you're actually going or whether you're using your resources to send someone else out with that message, you are a worker in the gospel. Now we get to Jude, which is in some ways a confusing book. And Jude is calling us to live with our guard up. We're going to read verse 4. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. We don't want to get it twisted. God's grace is not to be abused. Even though we all abuse it, each one of us takes for granted the grace of God every single day. But Paul has this exact conversation where he says, if you think that because of your sin, God is glorified, well, why shouldn't I just sin that much more? Because God will continue to be glorified. And he uses some of the strongest language in the New Testament and says, may it never be. Do not want to, that's not a cycle you should be in. We should not be sinning more so that God's grace is more on display. But someone can take these words, this idea of freedom in Christ, and twist it for their own purposes. 
So let us remember that living in God's grace will glorify him, not satisfy our lusts. So that's kind of your litmus test. If someone is telling you that that you ought to do this or that, and it is not going to glorify him, but it's going to satisfy your flesh, red flag. This is not where the scriptures are going. This is not where your freedom in Christ ought to be taking you. Let's read verse 8 and 12 and 13. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. I'm sorry, I'm on the wrong verse. That's verse 5. Let me jump down to 8. Yet, in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. Jumping down to verse 12. These are hidden reefs. Jude is still talking about the same group of people, and he's going to describe them in several different ways. So listen to these word pictures that he uses to describe these people. These are hidden reefs at your love feast. The love feast is when Christians would come together, share a meal, have communion, and remember what Jesus did for them on the cross. As they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. And so we have these pictures of these waterless clouds, fruitless trees, hidden reefs. Hidden reefs do what to ships? They wreck them. They crash into them. Waterless clouds are just a tease that never give rain. Not that we have that problem in San Antonio these days, but waterless clouds, not helpful. Fruitless trees, not helpful. In Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abraham and all of his descendants to be a blessing to the entire earth. God's people are called to be a blessing. So let us attempt to be a blessing to all of the people around us. But I don't want you to leave today thinking you have a new to-do list. Yes, we are called to live as doers of the word. We are called to live in expectation of suffering. We are called to live patiently. We're called to live in love, in truth, on mission, with our guard up. We're called to live that way. Let us remember that when we do that well, we are simply reflecting God's character to the world around us. So we get no credit. When you stumble, when you don't do it well, you are shining the spotlight on how much each and every single one of us needs Jesus' love 
needs his sacrifice on the cross. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that your mercy is new every morning. Thank you that we can rely on your grace no matter the situation. Father, thank you that you have chosen to pour out your grace and your love on us and on our hearts and that there is no way for us to work our way out from under your grace. Lord, we pray that you would use your word to change us, that you would not allow it to stay in our heads, but that it would work down into our hearts, into true belief, that those around us would, s- would be able to see your love through our actions. And Lord, help us to live honest and transparent lives without reservation, because we know that you have us, that there is no sin that, they, that you cannot forgive. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.